0: I can't remember what I was supposed to say. Has <laughs> a reoccurring role on HBO Ballers. Mark Slareth, handsome son bitch, get out here! And makes one hell of a bowl of green chili. It's Mark Slareth, and this is the Stinkin' Truth Podcast. All right, well, welcome back to the Stick of Truth Podcast. We've been gone for six months. I'm your host, Mark Schler, along with my co-host, Mike Evans, who's not going to be here for a couple of weeks, but we're going to bring him back into the fold. Uh, producer Scott DeHuff, and it's great to be back, man. It reminds me, you remember, I don't know, if you're a child like I was in the 70s, welcome back, Carter, right, with Vinny Barbarino, that was... Uh, John Travolta and and the whole cast of characters Epstein and all those guys. It just like it's good to be back and I thought I I just play this song for you guys just to reminisce a little bit and um, and to think about those times back in the 70s. Welcome back. All right. Well, that's enough. Thanks to Huff. I, I appreciate that. It's, it's really good to be back. I um, can't wait to continue to talk to you guys on a weekly basis about the National Football League. Some of the things that irk me, some of the things that um, I'm excited about. We're going to talk about each division. Now, I'm not going to go through. I think this team wins this division and this team wins that division. I'd like to actually see more than one preseason football game before we go down that road. But the Hall of Fame game is back. Really excited about the Hall of Fame game. Really excited about the start of the football season the first game I ever played in was the Hall of Fame game it was the Washington Redskins versus the Buffalo Bills and I'll never forget the experience because one it made me realize playing with backups and playing against backups that I felt like I belonged in the National Football League it was the first time I got to experience professional football and I played well enough to think that I may have I might belong in professional football like this may be a career. The funny thing was is we go to Canton, Ohio, and my parents flew down from Alaska, and they flew down to watch my first professional football game. They flew down in support of their little boy drafted in the 10th round from the University of Idaho to watch him play in his first ever professional football game. Well, come to find out later on in life, they really flew down because my parents felt like it might be the only professional game that I ever got to play in. They thought I would get cut um, because, you know, I mean, you're from Alaska, you're a 10th rounder from Idaho, the odds of you making it in professional football probably aren't very good. So they came down to Canton, Ohio to support their little boy in the Hall of Fame game. And I'll tell you what, one of the most exciting, most memorable parts of my career, the first game that I ever played in. Playing against the Bills, playing professional football. And it reminded me of that last night as or or I guess I should say Thursday night as I watched the Hall of Fame game and I watched young guys that are fighting for their roster lives play in this game with great passion. Um that's an exciting exciting thing for me so i'm so glad that football's back i'm so glad to be able to share my passion my thoughts and all those things with you here on the Stinkin truth podcast uh first thing i want to get into though um i want to go division by division um and and pick a team from each division um i guess i i will call this uh things that intrigue me (laughs) it's time for things that intrigue me. Ooh. Well, that's good work to Huff. I wow. Earned my paycheck. Yeah, you did earn your paycheck, a very small paycheck at that. So let's start with the NFC East. Uh I think there's I think there's some cool things going on with the NFC East. Let's start with the team that intrigues me in the NFC East, and that is the Philadelphia Eagles fresh off their first world championship with their backup quarterback, Nick Foles. Here's the deal. There's chemistry involved with the Philadelphia Eagles. Like, you can talk about the talent. You can talk about the execution. You can talk about what they constructed. But I think the biggest part, and and something that many football teams, many general managers, many head coaches don't give enough credit to, that team had great kind of championship Character that team had great camaraderie. That team came together. Camaraderie is a—it's a, a funny word because I'm, I'll never forget Bubby Brister. Now, former starter for the Eagles, former starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers, Bubby Brister at the end of his career came to Denver, and he was part of those back-to-back championship teams in Denver in 1997 and 1998. And in 1998, Bubby Brister got the opportunity to start. The sum total of, I believe, six games, and and played the majority of seven games as John Elway got hurt with a hamstring injury and missed six weeks of the season. And in those seven games that Bubby Brister played in, we uh we went seven and zero in those games. We started the season thirteen and zero that year, and I'll never forget Bubby Brister in an interview. They were asking Bubby Brister what set this team apart, why this team was different from teams he had played on in the past, and Bubby Brister thought about it for a second. Now, Bubby Brister is from Louisiana. You know, I mean, he's an old country bumpkin boy. And Bubby Brister, I'll never forget the answer because I saw it on the news that night, and I just rolled over laughing. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. Bubby said, well, you know what what sets this team apart is this team's got great camaraderie ship. And from that point forward... It was like, I mean, it, that's so Bubby Brister, camaraderie ship. So like every time we'd have a TV timeout, I'd be sitting in the huddle. I'd be standing there, you know, miserable. Bubby Brister would come in with the, with the play. I used to sing to him all the time in the middle of the huddle, TV timeouts. I'd go, come on, ride that ship. Mm, camaraderie ship. And he'd be like, hey, stink up yours. He would use the F word, but like, hey, flip you, you know, I'm done with you. So it was a, it was a just kind of a rallying cry. The Philadelphia Eagles had great camaraderie ship. And I will tell you this, man, having having had been blessed enough to play on really good teams and win world championships, the winning scares me in this. How do you repeat it? How do you not get sated by your success? How do you not get selfish? Like, when you're chasing a championship, when you're chasing your first kind of Super Bowl championship, they won a championship in the 60s, but that was pre-Super Bowl era. When you're chasing that championship, that's one thing to get guys to buy in, guys to be unselfish. Joe Gibbs used to say to us all the time in our championship years with the Washington Redskins, lose yourself. It's easy to lose yourself when you're chasing a championship. It's harder to lose yourself after you've had some success, you've been sated by success, and now you want yours. You want to get paid, you want to start, you want your opportunity to play, whatever the case may be. So it's hard to continue to have that great camaraderie, that unselfishness that I think the Philadelphia Eagles probably displayed better than anybody else. So dealing with failure, to me, in this league, and probably in life in general, is far easier than dealing with success. Do you not get swollen with pride? Do you not start to feel like you're more important than you really are? Are you still willing to make the sacrifice for your teammates? because I think that more than anything else is what set the Eagles apart yeah they were a really good football team yeah their head coach you know gambled and went with it on on, on fourth down yeah they had the, the pass in the Super Bowl the Nick Foles from you know their tight end yeah all these things are true and they were an exceptional team to watch they were so much fun to watch Carson Wentz gets hurt he probably would have been the MVP of the NFL had he not gotten hurt had he not torn his ACL but he's coming back how do you deal with coming back after those circumstances this is a really intriguing team that's the philadelphia eagles what about in the north you had a quarterback that led you to a 13 and 3 record that started the majority well he started 14 games but he played the majority of 15 games after sam bradford goes down with an injury in case keenum and you didn't even offer the guy a contract the guy helped lead you to the nfc championship and you said to yourself yeah you know what I think he's hit his glass ceiling. I think he's pressed against the ceiling. Let's go get Kirk Cousins who's been to one playoff game. Let's make him our quarterback and let's give him an 84 million dollar guaranteed contract, fully guaranteed contract. Now, a lot of people say, "Well, that's because Case Keenum's been a journeyman his whole career and they don't believe in Minnesota that he can repeat that." Like you think about it. Never did he ever get even even like even slightly get The confidence of his head coach. I mean, Mike Zimmer throughout the season was always like he's leaving the door open. It was like, yeah, you know, Case Keenum is still holding the spot until Teddy Bridgewater gets healthy. Or, yeah, Case Keenum, even going into the NFC Championship, hey, uh, you know, Case Keenum's our starting quarterback. But if he struggles, uh, you know, Sam Bradford's our most accurate quarterback. We'll put him back in there. Like, he never, ever got the full confidence of the organization or the full confidence of the head coach. And as soon as the season was over, they didn't even offer him a contract. Now, I, for one, am a believer when it comes to Case Keenum. Like, I've watched Case Keenum operate with the Rams, both in St. Louis and Los Angeles, where he didn't have a lot of talent around him, and I thought he displayed great toughness. I think he's matured as a quarterback. I think he's he's grown as a quarterback. I think he's gotten better every single year, and I think what you see... From last year is who Case Keenum is. Not the journeyman that bounced around from Houston to the Rams. I think he's more the quarterback that we saw last year with Minnesota. Like every other quarterback, not named Tom Brady or not named um, Aaron Rodgers, you got to put a good team around him. You've got to have a good system. You got to run the ball. You got to take pressure off the guy. I think one of the things that happens in the NFL is it's hard to overcome, especially at that position. The stigma of not being a highly sought after guy out of college by being a free agent guy, because regardless of what happens to you, you're almost always. Yeah, but he's a free agent. Yeah, but he was a journeyman instead of. Yeah, but he's overcome all those things See, in a locker room. That guy has the most juice in the locker room. Like, that guy is one of the most respected guys in the locker room because he didn't have great expectations. Like, nobody expected a lot from Case Keenum. So when you exceed the expectations and you come from free agent status, you come from a small school and you have that, you you, you rise to the top and you become a great player, guys in the locker room respect the hell out of that. You know what they don't respect? They don't respect the first rounder that doesn't perform. They don't respect the first rounder who feels like it should be given to him, like he's earned something. I mean, that first rounder hasn't put a squirt of piss in the bucket, and he walks in there like he's the cat's pajamas. That doesn't work. In the NFL locker room, you don't get any respect for that. It's a prove it league. And when you're a player that comes from journeyman status and elevates beyond that, I think that, to me, is where you get the most respect in the locker room. The problem is in the front office, it's hard to get rid of the stigma of, yeah, but he was a free agent. Yeah, we signed him here to be the third quarterback in Minnesota because we thought Teddy Bridgewater would be healthy, and he ended up being our second quarterback, and he ended up playing exceptionally well for us. Yeah, but we still thought of him as a third quarterback. So it's really hard to get over that. So the Minnesota Vikings intrigued me in that they lost a guy that's a great leader, that the guys love, the guy that rallied them to a 13-3 and record in the NFC Championship for Kirk Cousins, a guy that was very much in Washington, a guy they wouldn't pay, a guy they wouldn't offer a real contract. They went after Alex Smith and said, that's our better chance to get over the top here in Washington. So that's a really interesting dynamic. In the North with the Vikings. What about the Saints in the South? The Saints, one play away from going to the NFC Championship, one missed tackle away. One just bad play with seven seconds left where Stefan Diggs scores a touchdown, a long touchdown from Case Keenum. Otherwise, they're in the NFC Championship in Philadelphia against the Eagles. That's a talented football team. I was just out in New Orleans um, with Sean Payton, with that football team, very talented football team. Drew Brees still doing, you know. Drew Brees things, the uh, set the record in the NFL for the most accurate quarterback last year, completing 72 plus percent of his passes. That's a team that intrigues me because I think they're incredibly talented and they're the model for all these teams trying to go from worst to first. See, we tend to forget because you have Drew Brees that the that the Saints went seven and nine, three straight years with Drew Brees, with one of the most exceptional surefire first ballot Hall of Famers. Um that Sever played the game. But what happened that was different for them? Well, in their draft, they drafted three rookies who were Pro Bowl performers. Marcus Lattimore, the cornerback position, was a Pro Bowl performer. He's a great player for them. Solidified that cover corner that every team needs in this league. Then their, their, their right tackle, Ramschek comes in and plays at a Pro Bowl caliber level at the right tackle, solidifies the right side of their line of scrimmage. And then Alvin Kamara is a Pro Bowler at the running back position, and they have a great one-two tandem with Ingram and Kamara in that backfield like you have got to in this day and age of the National Football League you have got to have those kind of productive drafts you have have to have young guys rookies and first uh you know first year players they have to come in and they have to perform and they've got to solidify your roster Because what ends up happening is you pay so much money to your quarterback and so much money to your top eight players. You know, your cover corner, your quarterback, your defensive tackle, maybe your pass rushing defensive end, maybe it's an offensive lineman um, or a wide receiver, that it's really hard to build a complete roster. So you have to have these young guys that aren't making a lot of money. They have to come in and perform. Because what's happened is, is in the National Football League, the, the roster continues to divide in the haves and have-nots, what I call the 80-20 rule, where 20% of your guys are making 80% of the money. And so you have to rely on young players that you're not paying very much to produce. What happened to the Saints, 7-9, 7-9, 7-9, three rookies perform at a Pro Bowl level 11-5. and It's what gets you over the top. And it's one of the things that happened to the Saints. I think they're a team to beat in the NFC. I think they're that good that they'll be right there in the thick of things at the end in a very tough South division with Atlanta, with Carolina, Tampa Bay, the only one in there kind of searching with a coach on the hot seat. And then in the West, the Rams. Sean McVay, like I met with Sean McVay as I was calling games last year. And Sean McVay... 32 years old, I sat down with him, had a phenomenal conversation. I got done with that conversation. I felt like I was smarter as a football analyst, like I learned a bunch of stuff. But ultimately, I walked away from that conversation feeling like a turd. Like, hey, man, that dude's 32 years old. I've accomplished nothing in my life. Like, I am so far behind the eight ball. He is so intelligent. He's so articulate. He's so passionate about the game. Like, they have got themselves one of the great young coaches. One of the things he said about his quarterback, Jared Goff, that just intrigued the heck out of me. Like, when they sat down to meet, one, the first thing he showed Jared Goff was film clips of not him completing touchdowns and not him making great decisions and not him scrambling. He took pictures, he took film clips of him getting blasted and getting back up and said, you know what? Your toughness is what your teammates respect. Like, you have earned the respect of your teammates because you'll take a shot. And we didn't do a good job or they didn't do a good job of protecting you last year. You didn't have the weapons. Let me take care of that. We're going to fix that. But you have the ultimate authority, and you can lead your football team because of that authority because you displayed unbelievable toughness. And your guys will rally around. You talk about psychological warfare for your quarterback. This is why you'll lead. Not touchdowns don't matter, right? Right. Just throwing a, a milk carton down the field, throwing a dime doesn't matter. Right? Shouting and screaming at your team about getting lined up doesn't matter. What matters is you earn their respect because you took shots. You got hit, and you popped right up without saying a word. So they respect you. So you have got now, you've got the cachet to lead your football team. So that's the first thing. And then he said, what do you like? Like, not what, there's my system. Here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's my system. No, Jared Goff, this is Sean McVay. What do you like? What are you good at? What are your strengths? Let's build a system together. You want to talk about leadership? You want to talk about a head coach not coming in there saying, I know everything, follow my lead. Like, I'm brilliant. You don't jump on my back. No, 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 no. What do you like? What can you execute? What do you feel comfortable in? Let's build a system together. Let's be lockstep. So first, you have the authority to lead because of what you did last year, the toughness quotient. Now, let's build this offense together. You wonder why that guy grew leaps and bounds last year for the Rams? It's Because of that kind of leadership from the coaching staff, that kind of leadership from his head coach. Now, the thing that intrigues me about this football team is – what they've done on the defensive side of the ball. Two of the best corners in football with Marcus Peters and Akeem Tlaib. Also, two of the personalities, if you will. Two of the quirky personalities can be great, can also create some tension, some vitriol within their own locker room. And Dominican and Sue, another big personality, another guy that um, – you know, can can come with some controversial play. Like on paper, this team is loaded. But the games aren't played on paper. I like to say if the games were played on paper, I'd have spent a lot less time on the operating table. They're not played on paper. So how are you going to put all these things together? And then the other thing to me is what are you going to do about Aaron Donald? Because Aaron Donald is the best football player on the planet. The best football player on the planet. And you aren't paying him. He's sitting out of camp right now. And I think one of the things that happens when you as an organization pay a bunch of other guys that haven't been part of your program, and you're not paying the one guy who everybody and their brothers uncles knows is the best player in football, like that creates some controversy downstairs in the locker room. Like, whoa, wait a minute. You mean if I perform and I'm great? I'm going to be Alec Ogletree and get traded to the Giants, or you're just not going to pay me like the best player in football? Like, that doesn't sit well in a locker room. That's a problem. So they got to find a way to pay Aaron Donald. I know some people are going to say, no, whoa, whoa, stink. What about Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? They're the best football players. They're quarterbacks, people. I don't put the quarterback. Like, the quarterback practices in a pink jersey, all right? I don't. I don't put them in the football player category. I understand how important they are. I get, you know, that they get hit and all those kind of things. I, I'm just pure football players. They're quarterbacks. They're different. You know, I mean, are they a notch above punters and kickers? Of course, but I'm not going to put them in the football player category. All right. So that's what intrigues me about the the West and the Rams and the NFC. Let's move over to the AFC. AFC East. Patriots win that division going away every year. We talk about controversy. We talk about a rift between you know between Tom Brady and and uh, Bill Belichick and Alex Guerrero, Tom Brady's trainer, and Robert Kraft circumventing uh, Bill Belichick's authority for the first time. How the trade went down with Jimmy Garoppolo, even though uh, Bill Belichick didn't want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. Like all these things, like oh my gosh, it's controversy. It's this. It's that. The other. You know the bottom line is, the Patriots are going to show up like professionals. They're going to play well. They're going to be coached well, and they play in a division that, let's face it, there's nobody that can challenge them. The Bills are breaking in a new rookie quarterback, or they're going to go with A.J. McCarran. The Jets are breaking in a new rookie quarterback in Sam Darnold. Uh, the, the Miami Dolphins get Ryan Tannehill back from an ACL injury. They've kind of cleared house because they thought their culture... Inside that locker room were bad, so they got rid of Indomie and Sue. They got let rid of uh, their receiver Landry. So, like, there's a lot of things going on there that would lend my uh, would lend anybody any astute football observer to go. Well, listen, they may have some controversy going on. There may be some angst in New England. Come on, in that division. You really think anybody going to step up? You really think the Jets or the Bills or even the Dolphins are going to step up and steal that division away? I don't think so. How about the North? The most intriguing team in the North has got to be the Browns, right? 1-31 their last two seasons? I mean, you want to talk about pathetic. They went out and got Baker Mayfield, although they say Tyrod Taylor is head and shoulders above him right now from a development standpoint. And for anybody who sits there and says, yeah, well, you know, the the college system, it doesn't matter. And, you know, the spread system's okay. Like one of the issues he's got right now going on is he never played under center. And and here's why it's important. I understand that 60% of the game is played out of shotgun. You know what? That would lead me to believe that 40% of the game is played under center. And that 40% happens to be really important because of that 40% sets up your play action, sets up your short passing game, your three-step drop passing game. Here's the other thing about running the football. Okay? Everybody wants to run the football. You ask any defensive coordinator anywhere. This is a a league where you throw it 60 65% of the time. Okay? You ask any defensive coordinator, any one of them, what's your number one priority going into this game? Have you ever heard one of them say, hey, we got to stop the pass? They always, 100% of the time, say, we have got to stop the run. That's their first thing. Because there's nothing more demoralizing to a defense than getting it crammed down your throat. Nothing. And if you can't stop the run, that opens up all the play action stuff. It makes it so much harder to defend the, the passing game. Well, here's what happens to you if you're strictly a shotgun football team is you take, you know, 40, 50% of your runs and you scrap pile them because you can't run them out of shotgun. And then it doesn't help you on the play-action stuff where you really want to get the good, hard bite. For instance, let's say you're a linebacking core. If you're under center, you're going to be about three, three and a half yards deep. That's how you have to play when you're under center. If you're in shotgun... You can deepen to five, five and a half yards deep, and you can play going forward if they hand the ball off because it's, it, there's just a different dynamic to it. And you can get back in passing routes a little bit better with that kind of depth. So it, it hurts you in the intermediate passing game. It hurts you in the, in the number of plays, how it limits the number of plays you can actually run um, in your running game. The Browns are intriguing to me. I mean, Hugh Jackson. They're going to be on hard knocks. Hugh Jackson. Come on. Is there anybody on a hotter seat than than Hugh Jackson right now? One in thirty-one in the last two seasons. I can't imagine. The Colts. How about the Colts? Andrew Luck is back. You know, they drafted who I thought was the best player in all the National Football or all the draft going into the National Football League draft in Quentin Nelson. Like, I watched film of Quentin Nelson. I literally shut the study door, put a tie on the knob, said, don't come in here, man. This, like, this is really exciting stuff, right? Honey, don't don't come in here busy studying tape, Quentin Nelson. I mean, it was... His tape is some of the most phenomenal tape I've ever seen. So he's going to help solidify uh, the pocket so Andrew Luck can step up. Andrew Luck didn't play last year with that shoulder injury. You know, the controversy of Jim Ursay basically saying that Andrew Luck, oh, I'm paraphrasing, saying, like, it's in his head. Like, that is that's a horrible thing for an owner to say uh, about your star quarterback. But Andrew Luck is back. By all accounts, he looks good. Uh, he he has no limitations in throwing the football. That was a long, drawn out process, but um, really cool, really cool stuff. That Andrew Luck is back, and that'll be a fun team to watch as it tightens up that South Division race. Obviously, with Houston getting their quarterback back in uh, Deshaun Watson, I have to off the ACL. It should get their defensive players back. J.J. Watt should be back and healthy and ready to roll. Jacksonville, can they keep up what they did last year with that outstanding defense? I mean, that's a really intriguing division. And then lastly, if I'm going to AFC West, you got to talk about John Gruden being back. Like, there's a lot of stuff that that John Gruden's been away from, but he is so dialed into football. You know, his brother coaches the Redskins. He's tight with Andy Reid. He's tight with coaches all over the place. I mean, I've called John Gruden up at, like, literally 3.30 in the morning, and he answers the phone. Yo, "Yo, Stink, what's up? What are you doing? Oh, I'm just looking at film, you know. I'm like, the guy's ridiculous. Like, he's absolutely ridiculous. And so... That guy is completely dialed in his maniacal kind of effort and his kind of just overall craziness, I think, is is infectious, at least early. You know, he may wear on you over a couple of years, but early I think it's going to be infectious. Um, as a matter of fact, Peyton Manning was at uh, the Raiders camp just the other day, um, and this is what Peyton Manning said. He said something a characteristic that coaches need and that John Gruden have. Uh, listen to what he had to say. I mean, that week, you know, guys wanted to kind of run through a wall just for him as our as our Pro Bowl you know Hawaiian coach. You know, partially because he was he bought all the beer for all the players, <laughs> you know, which was smart. You know, it's smart. I think it helped him in free agency uh, a few years later. So, talking about your ability to want to kind of want run. You know, run in front of traffic or run through a wall for a guy like John Gruden will develop that sense of of character, that sense of um, that sense of urgency, that sense of excitement uh, early on in camp. But I think that kind of stuff is infectious. So we'll see how that culture change wears on the Oakland Raiders, because I I think it's a great thing. Like as much as I hate the Raiders and I hate the Raiders, like I always say, with the white hot intensity of a thousand suns, I hate the Raiders. But the league is a much better place when the Raiders are relevant. And I would love to see the Raiders be relevant again because they're the best rival. For the Broncos, they're the best rival. For the Chiefs, they're really the best rival. Like, it's the Raiders. And that makes the league better. And I'm with Peyton Manning. You know, part of of coaching is... Having this sense of I don't want to let the coach down. I want to you know jump in front of traffic for the coach. I want to you know I want to be there. I want to I want to excel for that guy. Joe Gibbs once called me into his office, and I'm walking out. I'm hurt, and Joe Gibbs hated when you didn't practice. But I couldn't practice. I had a knee that needed surgery. I had an elbow that needed surgery. I mean, I was a mess. So I'm taking the elevator up to exit the building, and obviously he was in in contact with the trainers downstairs because as soon as the elevator door opened, there's Joe Gibbs standing there. And I'm like, you know, I mean, he's your boss, right? And you're not practicing and you're a little bit sensitive about that anyhow. And he goes, Hey, uh, stink. Um, can you swing by my office tomorrow morning before the nine o'clock meeting? Worst thing you can ask a player, right? Now i got to go home and wonder, what's he going to talk to me about? Am I in trouble? Is he going to bench me? Is he going to cut me? Is he going to trade me? What's gonna, you're like, so you're up all night worrying about that. And I swear to you, Mike, I walked to his office door. It was closed because Joe Gibbs historically was just this night out. Like, he was up till 3 o'clock in the morning arguing whether to call something Zip or Zoom Motion, something that has no bearing in life in general, right? But that's what they did. And then they would sleep in their offices. The coaches would sleep in the office. So I literally barely knocked on the door. Like, my plan was, it was just like this. Like, you barely hear it, right? Hoping that, like, I'd see him later in the day and go, Hey, man, I knocked on your door. It was uh, 10 minutes to 9. Nobody answers. Was, uh, okay. No, as soon as I barely, I barely, I barely rap on the door. He's like, hey, come in. And I was like, oh, shoot. So I walk into his office, you know, and he says to me, hey, sit down, man. And so I sit down and he goes, listen, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you playing Hurt for us as an organization. Like, and I've really been, I've really been grinding with this. Like, I've really been wrestling with this. And if you think you're hurting you know, your, your potential, your future, you think you're damaging yourself for your future career. He goes, I'll put you on right IR right now as we speak. And, um, I'm going to send you to go have surgery. And, and so I want you to be as healthy as you can be, you know, for, for the long run. Like I want you to have a a great career. And he goes, look at, look over the corner of my office. There's a, a big grease board up there. And there were about fifteen names on that grease board, and mine was one of those names. And he goes, "I want you to know," he goes, "that I pray for you by name every single morning, because I know how much you're hurting, and I and I know how much this game means to you, and I know the sacrifices you're making for your football team." So he goes, "If you want to have the surgery, I'll put you right now. I'll put you on IR." And like at that point. I mean, I would step in front of a bus for Joe Gibbs. And I think that's part of that human connection that we have to have as as a football community, as a football team. So I think it's one of the things that set the Eagles apart and led them to a world championship last year. And, you know, can you create that kind of atmosphere that Peyton Manning talked about with John Gruden or with his former coach at Indianapolis, Tony Dungy? Because I think those are the things that that truly sets you apart. Okay, so those are the things that intrigued me going in to this preseason. But now it's time for that part of the podcast. It's the Impact Moment of the Week, brought to you by Low T Center, impacting men by improving men's health. Scott, great job on the imaging there. I really appreciate that, as always. That's what I do. That's why you're the producer of this, uh, of this exciting program. So... um, I think the first thing is there have been several rule changes that are going to impact this game. And if you watch the Hall of Fame game, the helmet rule is is something that I am watching with great concern and great anticipation. So here's how the rule is kind of written. If you lower your head and your body to a linear position, so think of your fist in, in a straight arm, right? Like your arm, your from your elbow straight up, your, your hole up into your fist, if you're holding it straight in the air. Now tilt it to 90 degrees, right? So it's straight up and down, now tilt it to 90 degrees. If your body tilts down in this linear position and your head is down and you strike somebody in the head or shoulder area with the crown of your helmet— that's going to be an illegal contact or an illegal hit, an illegal helmet-to-helmet hit anywhere on the football field. And that that's for any player. It can be in the interior line of scrimmage. It can be offensive lineman on linebacker. It can be linebacker on running back. It can be running back on linebacker. It can be wide receiver on DB or DB on wide receiver. It doesn't matter where in the field. That is now a penalty. And its it's part of tackling – and part of the contact that they're trying to eliminate from the game because of concussion issues. Now, last year, concussions. Uh, last year, that's easy for me to say. Last year, concussions increased once again. Now, were there more concussions last year, or are people just more sensitive to the potential of concussions, and therefore more are being reported? Like teams are reporting them. Players are reporting other players. Hey, watch that guy. I think something's wrong with him. Like, is it more of that culture has has changed? Here's the issue. This is just another rule or another reaction that the NFL is a reactionary league when it comes to changing rules. And this is just another rule that becomes very subjective, that's going to be officiated differently from crew to crew, from from um, official to official, and it's going to be hard to have any consistency. There's going to be ambiguity in the way this rule is called. Now, it's been explained to me, and I was at, at Fox for our NFL seminar, NFL meetings. It's been explained to me that they're going to err on the side of caution early, especially through the preseason. So you're probably going to see a lot of flags so they can gather a ton of film clips and so they can educate themselves on this is how we want this called. This is how we not want this called. Now, if I come in that same angle and I'm going for a tackle and I keep my face up and and my face is the first thing to make contact, then theoretically the way it's been explained to me is that shouldn't be a penalty. But how do you discern whether the crown of your helmet is down three or four inches or, you know, it's your face is up, or if you're rolling in there and all of a sudden the receiver crotch, you know, scoots down or, you know, gets himself a little bit lower. And how do you you know how do you adjust as a defensive player um i just think it it opens up pandora's box to a certain extent i think what you'll see is you'll see plays on the ball in the open those are the ones that are going to get called in the line of scrimmage i don't think anything will really be called but It'll be interesting to see exactly how this goes. And for the diehard football fans, and I always wish the NFL would just embrace, there's only 1,700 guys in the world that are physically gifted enough and stupid enough to play this game. And you know what? If you don't want to play it, we get it. This is more about protecting future generations and letting mom and dad realize that, hey, we care about your son. Let him play football. We're protecting it. But there is a faction of people in this country of – liberal media and other people that want football gone, that they're attacking football. You know, the fact that that there are more concussions playing soccer at youth levels in this country than there are football and nobody seems to be attacking soccer is problematic. But there are a a group of people, a faction of people that want, you know, football to basically go away. And I hope that never happens. But I also hope that you don't try to legislate contact out of a contact sport Because when that happens, I'm going to find something else to talk about. I'm going to find a different profession. You know, if it becomes seven on seven flag football, um, then I really don't want to be a part of it anymore. And that's you know that for me is the biggest concern, and and it's real. I mean, this is this is going to be interesting to see exactly how this rule is implemented, um, exactly like. What happens to these players? I'll tell you the other thing. We talked a lot in our Fox seminar about how we're, as a league, how we're trying to change the culture, right? We need players to take head, their their heads out of the game type of thing, you know? We, we need the players to change the culture. And I brought this up to the league, to the league office during the Fox seminars. I go, you know, the thing that pisses me off about that is we're finding players And oftentimes, we're finding players for bang-bang plays where helmet-to-helmet contact is unavoidable. It's going to happen occasionally. And we're taking their money away for things that are unavoidable that I think are physiologically impossible. So think about this. You ever been in a car accident and you see it coming? So you're sitting in a stoplight, you know, you, you maybe you come to a screeching halt and there's a bunch of cars rolling up behind you and you know, you look in your rear mirror and you're like, oh shit, I'm going to get hit, right? And what do you do? You tense up, you hold on to your steering wheel real, real tight, right? And you get ready for impact. Like, I don't mean to make light of it, but w- whenever you see an accident between a drunk driver and somebody sober, it's never the drunk driver who gets hurt. It's always a sober person because they tense up. It's physi- Physiologically, you're going to try to protect yourself. And the same thing goes for football, man. You see that guy, he that that receiver catches the ball, he sees contact coming, he squinches down because he's trying to protect himself, and you lower, and there's a helmet-to-helmet hit. and And we find that guy, and we say, we've got to change the culture. And my thing is, that's not a cultural thing. That's a protection thing, and that's a doing-your-job thing. And so there are a lot of these hits to me that are just purely unavoidable. And my question to the league office was like, if you want the culture to change, why don't you make everybody equally equal partners in changing that culture? So you make a hit and you get fined and, and as a coach, you say, hey man, that's a tough break. Try to keep your head up, but I love your aggressiveness. So how does that change the culture? It, it doesn't. I'll take Vontez Perfect in Cincinnati. That dude continues to get fined, continues to do things that are malicious. At what point are you going to hold Marvin Lewis accountable? At what point are you going to say, hey, Marvin, you're either coaching that or you're allowing it to happen. And so the next time that guy gets fined, you're going to lose $100,000. How about for the owners? So instead of taking a dude's money who has 3.4 years to earn a living on average in this league, how about you pay that guy, you don't take his money, you make him stand in street clothes as a healthy scratch and let the owner absorb that cost. You think the owner will come down if a guy's sitting out and he's a healthy scratch and he's and it's costing him a million dollars? the owner because that guy's getting paid? You think the owner will come down and say we got to change the way we tackle? Like let's make if we're gonna change culture, then let's make everybody accountable, not just the players. That's one of the things I would like to see, but it never seems to happen that way because we are so diametrically opposed. The Players Association and, and the league just don't want to communicate. We all want to be right. Nobody wants to do what's right. And until they come together and realize we're in this thing together. I have never one time seen anybody come to an NFL game to watch an owner sit around his ass off. I've never seen anybody come to say, oh, I heard the commissioner is going to be at the game this weekend. Man, I hope I catch a glimpse of him. I just bought tickets. Nobody wants to see Roger Goodell at a game. Nobody cares. They come to watch players play football, not to play flag football, not to play patty cake. They come to see football players play football. And we have to understand as a league and a players association that that we don't operate independently of one another. We need to operate together to make this game as good as it can be. A couple of the rule changes that intrigue me, the kickoff rule. I think this is a good rule. One, you don't get a run-up. So you got to start on the line of scrimmage. You don't get a run-up. So as the kicker runs up to the ball, everybody has to be on the line of scrimmage. They don't get that five-yard run-up. So that's going to slow down the the speed of the coverage unit. Okay, So that's a good thing. The other thing is eight guys have to be in in a five-yard box 15 yards away from the ball. So the majority of everybody has to be on the line of scrimmage. So you don't get to get a running start from depth at the guys who are covering the kickoff. And then there are no wedges. All wedges are you can double team in that that five-yard box 15 yards away from where they kick the ball off. You can double-team there, but you can't double-team. You can't create a wedge. You can't double-team beyond that. So it's, I think, a couple things. One, because you need speed to cover kickoffs, it's going to make that front line all small guys, right? Less body mass running down the football field, which in turn creates less huge collisions. Then there's not as much, you know, there's not as much space um, and time, so those collisions are going to those collisions aren't going to be as great. So I think this is a really I think this is a really good rule. And um, you know, obviously, uh, onside kicks are the same and all that stuff. But this is a good rule. It, it, this is a rule to me that makes sense and that hopefully it eliminates a lot of the injuries and a lot of the concussions that happen on on kickoff because that's the number one area where concussions happen in this league. And hopefully that can eliminate that because. I would really hate to see the kicking game be eliminated out of football. Like let's take let, let's take kickoff cover and just excommunicate it from football. I wouldn't that that would bother me. Um, and then the last rule that I think is really intriguing is the give yourself up rule. So, and we all know when the quarterback slides for feet first, as soon as he touches down wherever that ball is, that's the spot of the ball down. That play is down. Okay, if you dove head first. You got all that yardage until somebody touched you. So you could dive head first, hit the ground, slide three more yards, somebody touch you. You get all three yards. That's why there's a lot of quarterbacks that like the head first slide. But you're still a live player. It's not considered giving yourself up. So you got that yardage. Well, guess what? Now the head first dive is considered the same as the foot first slide. It's giving yourself up. So as soon as you dive... And you hit the ground wherever you hit the ground, where the ball is when you hit the ground, that's where the ball is going to be spotted. So if you dive and you're a yard short of the first down marker, and in the past you slid past the first down marker, you got the first down. Now you're going to be a yard short of the first down marker. So it's to protect that quarterback, protect that diving player who's giving himself up. Here's where it gets greasy. If I'm a running back and I dive, nobody touches me. As soon as I hit the ground, I'm down. Now, in the field of play, I get it, right? If I dive, now get this, if I dive, right, and I hit the ground and I fumble, it's not a fumble. I'm down because I've given myself up. As soon as I left my feet, I gave myself up. So that's not a fumble. But if I'm running around the corner and I stumble and trip and I'm falling and I hit the ground, that's a fumble. So now we're going to have to decide, hey, did he mean to dive forward? Was he giving himself up, or did he trip? Here's the other part where it's greasy. I dive over the line of scrimmage. I get met in the air, bam. I get knocked backwards. I hit my feet on the ground. I'm down right there. I can no longer fight for a yard or two or see if I can score. So I'm down. So goal line, if you dive at the goal line, you better break the plane, because if you don't break the plane... You hit the ground and you scramble forward and still get the ball over it. No, you're down as soon as your feet hit wherever the ball happens to be. So that is the give yourself up rule that has changed as well. Love the kickoff rule. I think the kickoff rule uh, makes sense. But, um, you know, the rest of that stuff, the rest of that stuff is a little bit, to me, it's a little bit shaky at best. Um, and those rule changes, those are the impact moment of the week brought to you by the Low-T Center, impacting men by improving men's health. And speaking of the Low-T Center, guys, listen, if you've been feeling tired, lack of energy, maybe you're grumpy, do yourself a favor, go get your levels checked. And the best place to do it, the Low-T Center, man, they have physicians that have been treating men with low T and treating men's health care for years. And let me tell you, If you've noticed a lack of energy, stamina or motivation, you go to the gym you just can't get it done, it could be low testosterone. Not only can it zap you in energy but it can raise your cholesterol it can cause you to gain weight. Guys it's so easy. You roll in, you take a simple blood test, you'll know your results within about 20 minutes. So check out my friends at the Low T Center. Find them online at LowTCenter.com. It's where I got my levels checked and I'm telling you what one of the best things I've ever done. That's the Low T Center. Find them online at lowtcenter.com. All right, well, there you go. That's one Stink It Truth podcast in the books for everybody involved in the show, for Scott the Huff, for my sponsors at Low T Center, for Mike, what's Mike's name? Evans, that's right. For Mike (laughs) Evans, who's not here today, and uh, hopefully he'll be back soon. Can't thank you guys enough. Please spread the word, share the podcast, and uh, we'll be back with you next week right here on the Stink It Truth podcast.